So, yesterday, what a, what a day yesterday was. Uh, well, there were flags everywhere, there was, uh, there was cheering, there was colourful clothing, there was music, there was food. Um, and that was just me down at the rugby. I don't know what the rest of you were doing, but... Um, of course, I just, I was on rugby, actually. I went to uh, Welford Road to watch the Tigers play the final game of the season. And, of course, the coronation um, of King Charles looms, looms great over this weekend and all the activities that are going on. And uh, let's pray for good weather for the rest of the weekend. But, of course, um, King Charles III um, over the UK and, uh, of course, the Commonwealth. He's, he's the new king. And, of course, he, he became king on the death of his mother but of course yesterday was the the actual ceremony and I, I watched some of this I didn't watch all of it because I was busy day but um, I was just struck about how Old Testament the whole thing was that you know if you read the book of Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament you just see a lot of what went on yesterday is down in the Old Testament of course there were many people in that in that church and uh, I know there's lots of discussion on where people are from and all, all the rest of society's needs right now. But the fact is they were in a church and they were hearing the word of God, maybe for the first time. So who knows? Who knows? As we pray for our king, let's also pray for everybody who was present yesterday. Because you don't know, do you? I mean, it's good that Reuben is here every week and he will learn as, he, as his parents bring him every week. He will learn just by listening. It's good to see Charlie when he comes and the kids will learn and they will just take something away. So maybe... People who turned up yesterday at Westminster Abbey will also take something away of God. And this morning is no, is no, no different. Some of the things we saw uh, yesterday, the coronation, so the robe that he was given ref- represents not his authority as king. The robe actually represents the authority of God over him as king. And as he walked out, he had, a, uh, he had an orb, didn't he, in his, uh, in his left hand with a cross on it. And that orb represents the whole world including King Charles III, is subject to Christ. So this morning I was asked, could I just give a, a message themed around the coronation? So I thought, okay, and I'll do a message on the sovereignty of God. Really important that we see God as king. It's the first thing maybe you see God. And we can learn a lot, even looking at some of the, the classics of, from, you know, from films, etc., where can I get a great lesson in the Bible about God as king? I mean, there's lots of heroes to choose from, aren't there? You've got, uh, you've got Joseph, you've got Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, <coughs> Peter, even Paul, such great heroes of the Bible. I've not heard many, if any at all, messages on a hero of the Bible named Thomas. He's called Doubting Thomas, but is he a hero of the Bible? Now, as far as I'm concerned, as he was the first missionary to India, he's definitely a hero of the Bible for me. As you know, I, I love my, my curries. So Thomas, by tradition, um, went to India. But you know the story of Doubting Thomas in John 20. After the resurrection, Thomas didn't go to the tomb. He didn't see the empty tomb. He didn't know. He didn't believe quite that Jesus was alive. And he said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and, and the the hole the spear made inside. I can't believe. And then Jesus appeared in the room and he showed him. And in that moment, this is where Thomas becomes a hero of the Bible. His confession, he said, my Lord and my God. The doubter became a legend. Now, I don't know about you, 
I understand that God has given you a mind, and that mind is open to reason. That mind can be logical. That mind can be questioned. It's God's design. It's not a sin to question. It's not a sin to ask questions. But when you hear the answer from Jesus himself, there's only one response. It is my Lord and my King. Jesus, at that moment, wasn't just revealed as the miracle worker. He was revealed to Thomas as Lord and God. The word Thomas would have used in Greek is kyrios, which literally means master. So in England, we think of uh, Lord of the Manors, you know, somebody who owns an estate and the big house and all the surrounding villages belongs to the Lord of the Manor. That's the, that's the, um, the tense that Thomas was using. And of course, being a good Hebrew, he wouldn't have said Yahweh because, of course, the, the name of God was so holy, as Roy mentioned, he didn't even mention the word Yahweh because in case they took the Lord's name in vain. So Thomas used the Greek master, ruler, owner. And do you know this, the word Lord is mentioned over 7,000 times in the Bible. That's enough for every waking hour of every day over the year. Jesus, Lord and Master, my King. And I just think when I'm a, growing up, you see the films, remember films like Ivanhoe and Robin Hood and all that sort of thing? There was always a king, wasn't there? If you read through the Bible, you've got the book of one kings, two kings, one chronicles, two chronicles, stories of kings. And I've used that basis, that skeleton of the kings that I understand and I, I've, I've seen. Remember in church, we sing, I haven't sing for a while, crown him with many crowns. We used to sing a song a few years ago called Jesus is King and I will exalt him. We've got the, the great song for Jack Hayford called Majesty. But as a Christian, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to you for God as king? Because God is such that you have the choice to crown him in your life or not. He is king. He is always going to be king, whether you recognize him or not. But as a Christian, we come to that point, like Thomas, we say, my Lord and my God. See, if you can have a king, there's three things that mark a king out. Control, authority, and presence. You see, King Charles, we know, in, in the modern Britain, he, his role is more ceremonial, isn't it? And constitutional, rather than actually making rules, rather than actually having control. But the government is known as His Majesty's government. We all pay tax, those of us who work. And it scores His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. And don't we love them so much? But they bear the name of the king. And control. You see, a king's control means nothing occurs without the king's say-so. Just catch your mind back to the old, old movies. The king had ultimate say over his kingdom. The Bible says that God created everything. In the beginning, in the beginning, John 1 tells us, was the word and the word was God in fact that word Yahweh itself literally means he who makes all things that are made that was what Yahweh means he who brought everything into existence that exists that is Yahweh Isaiah says or God says I am God there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and nothing can prevent God from accomplishing his purpose. And we find that under God's control, his plan is perfect. His work is perfect. Romans 12 verse 2 says that you may prove 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A king has authority. Again, in the UK, Charles doesn't have governmental authority. But of course, if you think about Solomon, his authority wasn't just in Israel and Judah. His influence was all over the world at the time. Kings came to Solomon for advice. They bought him riches because David had secured peace so that Solomon could build the temple. But in that, he was so powerful that kings would be influenced by Solomon. They would come to him for his wisdom. The crest, the royal crest, sits over our government, doesn't it? As I mentioned, HMRC, his majesty's government, is authority. And the king's decrees are always law. When the king speaks, that is what happens. And in a kingdom, you have expected code of conduct, and you have expected behaviours under your king. If you look at the Old Testament, when people fell outside of that expected code of conduct, there was a swift end brought to them. Fortunately, um, we no longer have the death penalty in the UK. Well, in my opinion, fortunately. But um, law is law. The king's law is always absolute. You see, a kingdom without those standards, a kingdom without laws, a kingdom without decrees, is just a mess. It's just a collection of rebels. But when you have a king, when you have his word, his word speaks. And of course, the most famous set of laws ever, the Ten Commandments. And people say, well, Christianity is all about rules and regulations. It's about the Ten Commandments. And why do we have commands? Why do we have laws? You know, most of us in this room would hate that yellow box that sits on the side of the road, particularly when it takes our picture as we go past it faster than we should. The fact is, it, the fact remains that if we drop our speed, there'll be fewer injuries and deaths on our roads. So actually, that law is there to help us stay safe. Of course, there's other things we could say about those cameras, what they actually do. And the Ten Commandments, God put in the Ten Commandments because your wholeness, your completeness is all tied up in those laws. If we keep the Ten Commandments, you'll be better off physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's why those laws are in place. The king has authority and the king has presence. When King Charles is in residence, the flag flies over Buckingham Palace. I remember from Sunday school, there's a, fl- there's a song we used to sing. The flag flies high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence there. Showing my age there, Roy, I'm afraid. But God's presence as king, Emmanuel, God is with us. In the wilderness, a cloud by day and the fire by night. And in ancient battles, the armies would rush to the standard, the flag of the king. When the king was on the battlefield, all of the soldiers would be braver, be more courage because they were fighting for their king. That's why the enemy would always aim for the king first. Get rid of the king and the army loses its morale. Have the king there. His presence of the king makes a difference. And of course in the New Testament we see Christ in you. The presence of the king. Control, authority and presence. Jesus said I'm with you presence even until the end of the earth David says to God where can I go from your presence Isaiah said in his in the book of Isaiah in the year King Isaiah died I saw the Lord he was high and lifted up and the train of his presence filled the temple presence 
So what does that mean for you and I as, as Christians? What does that mean as we live our lives? We've got that classic picture from the movies. We've got the book of Kings and Chronicles to help us. What does it mean? So first of all, the king can forgive our sins. We heard it last week from Julie where the, the Pharisees said about the, the man being lowered into the room. Who can forgive sins but God? Only God can forgive sins. And we know what Jesus said in return. He said, what's easier, to tell a man to get up and walk? So he said in verse 10 of that chapter, so that you will know your sins are forgiven. Now take up your bed and walk. Only God can forgive our sins. You see, the king in a kingdom has complete power to convict and to condemn, but also the power to pardon. We've all seen it in the Bible where the, the servant will be faced down in front of the king. Esther walked into the, the presence of the king. The king could have had her killed immediately, but he reached out his scepter to say, your intrusion is forgiven. You can come in. Only a king can pardon. Even today we have the, the USA. He's not a king, of course, but the president has the power to pardon criminals. A presidential pardon is still something in modern America. The Bible says in John 8, 36, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Only the king can forgive sins. When the, the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus, and he said, whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. And when they all disappeared, dropping their rocks, he said to the woman, where are your accusers? See, only God can forgive sins. Romans 8, verse 1 says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, the king fights our battles. Now, King Charles is the commander-in-chief of the British and Commonwealth Armed Forces. He is the top man. He is above all the generals. And if you're a king subject in a kingdom, then being one of those king subjects actually allows you the full protection of that king in his kingdom. Your protection is part of that king's rule. And when you bow to that king, if a foreign power attacks you, if you're a king subject, that foreign power attacking you is the same as attacking the king. It's the same offence because the king's protection is over you. There's a story in the Old Testament where the king of Syria went to um, kill Elisha because every time he made a battle plan, God told Elisha, Elisha told the Israel, king of Israel, and the king of Israel made sure the defence was ready for the king of Syria. And he got sick of it. So he sent his army to Dothan to kill Elisha, not the king of Israel. And he surrounded Dothan. And Elisha's servant saw his massive army. He said, oh no, there's more All of his armies. What are we going to do? And in 2 Kings 6, verse 16 and 17, Morgan's got the verse there. I'm not going to read it all. He says, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And he prayed that God would open his servant's eyes. And all around the hills, surrounding the army, were the armies of God. The message calls them God's mighty angel armies. In the, old, in the King James, it was the Lord of hosts. So all of heaven's army was ready to defend Elisha. That's a fantastic story. I actually love that story. It's only a few verses. God fights for us. Jehoshaphat in two chronicles. He was being invaded. He said to God, what shall I do? 
And God said, the battle is not yours, it's mine. And God fought the enemy, not Jehoshaphat. In 1 Samuel, David, walking out to see Goliath, he said, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, who you have defied. And we know what happened next to Goliath. So only a king can forgive our sins. And only a king can fight our battles. But more than that, the king fills me to overflowing. You see, the, the British royal family, as we've heard recently, they are very rich. They own lands, they own properties. King Charles, of course, had all these, you know, like farming industries producing goods that are sold, and that goes into his account. But the old-fashioned king, as well as taking taxes from you and your tribute, it was the king who had the power to write off your debt completely. It was the king who had the power to cover you with gold, should he so wish. If you please him so much, the king would just give you of his treasure. Everything you could ever need. Psalm 23 verse 5, it says, My cup runs over. He says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, and my cup runs over. See, a king can build a village. A king can fund a war. A king can clear a debt. A king can reward loyalty and fealty. And every good gift we have comes from God. In Luke 8, 6, 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. But in how? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I don't know if you've ever poured goods into a jar at home. And it fills, like rice. I, I put rice into a jar. Give it a shake. What happens? It always settles down. There's room for more. And that's what God says. Give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, but then running over. John 10.10, 10, one of the most famous verses. Jesus says, I've come that you'll have life, and life in abundance. I know some versions say life to the full, but I just love that word, Abundance. Abundance means more than you can ever manage yourself. Running over, more than you can even fit in your pocket. There's a story of a, of a little lad going to a sweet shop. And he went with his, his granny every, every week. And the shopkeeper one day said, he's a very well-behaved boy. Would you like some sweets? He offered him a jar. So the boy just held his hands. Would you like some sweets? You can have them for free. And he just held his hands. So the shopkeeper reached in and gave him some sweets. Of course, the little boy whose hands were so small had to use two hands to take all the sweets that the shop he knew. The shopkeeper had bigger hands than he did. And so it is with God, your king. His accounts, the Bible says he owns a cat on a thousand hills. And we, we worry about a few pence. The king fills you to overflow. And there's a few people in the Bible, I just made a small list, but it's endless. People who found favour resource and reward and protection from the king we have of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Mephibosheth, Paul, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai, Abigail. These all came across a king and were given blessings beyond what they could even consider. Those whose debts were forgiven, Daniel, 
the adulterous woman, the prodigal son, Paul, Peter, and of course, Thomas. So as we come to a close, there is a question that God asks of all of us. What is our response? What is asked of us? Well, the first question is, do we recognize and submit to the king? Of course, there was an invitation to pledge allegiance to uh, King Charles. Yesterday, wasn't there? And that went down uh, better in some quarters than others. But when we're faced with the king of kings, there is always a choice to make. Do you accept and submit? Or do you deny and reject? And secondly, the Bible is quite clear. There There are actually only two kingdoms. Of course, we are the uniting kingdom. As far as the word of God is concerned, you've got the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And of course, God is the king of kings. God is light, the Bible says. It was God who said, let there be light. Joshua in 24.15 says, choose this day who you will serve. Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? And in Romans 14, 11, it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's my prayer for King Charles. The service was full of scripture. The service was full of faith. But we're not really sure where he's at. I'm not going to judge him whether he is or isn't a believer. But what I'm going to pray is that he does come into that full relationship with Jesus. He, and that's what the ceremony was about yesterday. The ceremony wasn't about him being king of, the, of Great Britain and the Commonwealth. The ceremony was about your only king because God himself allows it. That's really, that was really clear throughout the whole ceremony. You are king because God allows it. The real authority, according to the coronation yesterday, is God and it's given to you, Charles. So I would say make those oaths very, very carefully. Make those vows with sincere heart. And then come back to Thomas. On seeing the, the wounds in Jesus' hands and the spear in his side. Tradition has it that Thomas himself was martyred in India. And the way he was martyred was they, they ran him through with a spear. Because obviously he was telling all the people about how the time he met Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And how he put his hand in his side. And Thomas says, my Lord, my King my master, my ruler, and my God. Let's pray. So Father, just pray for all my friends sat here right now. We, we might be at different stages of a faith walk with you. And may this morning, may there be a revelation that comes to each and every one of us. Whether it's a new revelation or whether it's a fresh revelation of you as our King, of you as our God, you who forgives sins, you who fights our battles so we don't need to fight because you stand up for us and you fill our lives to overflowing. Well, that's for a purpose, that we might touch the lives of those around us, helping them to realise who really is the King of Kings. So we thank you, Father, this morning. And we bless your name. Amen.